The gospel this morning is from Luke, the 24th chapter. Now on that same day, when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, had, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if they were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you all. Years ago, I attended a workshop on the seasons of the church year. I thought it was going to be pretty straightforward, me in a chair listening to a speaker, but things took a turn, and I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but I found myself as part of a liturgical fashion show, preparing 
to walk a makeshift catwalk in this cozy room at the retreat center where we were. We had all been assigned at different church seasons and given fabrics to drape on ourselves. Advent people in blue, Lent folks in purple, and me in Easter's white and gold. Before it was my turn on the runway, the speaker gave me some instructions. Just hold your arms up like you're lifting the entire world and walk confidently. Easter is about triumph. So there I was, nine in the morning, decked out in white and gold, walking around with my arms outstretched as a trumpet fanfare played over the audio system and fans blew on me, making the cloth billow in the breeze. Oh, the places you'll go, I suppose. But I think about this message that the speaker gave me, that Easter is about triumph. Because I am having a lot of trouble feeling triumphant this season of Easter. I'm tired. I'm crabby. I cry once a day. I ping pong between overwhelming myself with news and social media and then numbing myself with TV and house projects. What I want are answers and there just aren't answers right now. If anything, I feel like I did while I was on that retreat center runway, trying to project confidence and joy on the outside, but confused on the inside, just asking over and over again, how the heck did I get here? And I know it's been that way for you too. You feel this dissonance between trying to appear strong when your insides are in turmoil. See, our whole staff has been making pastoral calls lately. We've been going alphabetically through our directory to check in with each of you. And I'm not done with my calls yet, but there's a fascinating cultural pattern I've seen emerging from my time on the phone. When I ask you how you're doing, most of you say, I'm fine. I can't complain. Really? I ask. Yes, really, you respond cheerfully. There's always a point in which I think, well, maybe I should just hang up. Maybe you are actually doing okay. But I will myself to ask another question or two. And eventually that brave facade that we're all putting up just crumbles. I'm actually worried about my mom, I hear. I feel like a bad parent. I don't understand what we're going through. You're the first person I've talked to in a week. We had to cancel our vacation. I miss my coworkers. I'm tired of staring at a screen. I just wish it could feel normal again. Let's name it. What we are all experiencing is grief. 
each of us has lost something. All of us find ourselves in a present we had not planned for. Our brains are filled with questions we didn't have to ask before, and we have to expend energy trying to take in and adapt and adjust to this new normal. This is textbook grief, and it's completely understandable that we find ourselves on a grief journey right now. But we do not live in a culture that does grief particularly well. Our culture is kind of like that Easter fashion show. It values the appearance of triumph and confidence. And so we tend to view grief and sadness as weakness and failure. And we are trained to deal with it by rushing to get ourselves to the happy, the positive, to snatch any silver lining available, to paper over our grief with cheerful colors as though that will make it pass. This is why we all instinctively lead with the I'm fine, can't complain. And I've got to say, church is not always helpful here especially in this season of Easter, when we sing these songs about joy and we talk about victory and new life and possibility and we fill our sanctuary so full of flowers that it's almost like we're saying there isn't space for grief here. Please check it at the door or stuff it down to where we can't see it. But you know, as well as I do, that denial is an ineffective tool for dealing with grief. And this is why I am so grateful for this story about the road to Emmaus. It's an Easter story told right after Jesus has risen from the dead. And if Easter is indeed about victory and triumph and confidence, Sure, we can find these moments at the end of the story when Jesus is revealed and the disciples' hearts burn with joy. But it strikes me that even if these final happy verses were lopped off the text, this would still be a story of resurrection. Jesus is equally alive and risen when he's hidden on the road to Emmaus, as he is when he's revealed in the breaking of the bread. Our usual images for Easter are of Jesus bursting out of a tomb and angels proclaiming the news that Jesus is alive. They are images of boldness and triumph. But if we take this story seriously, then resurrection can also look like a person who seeks us out to journey with us in our grief. I think it's significant that Jesus holds back on revealing himself when he first meets these two disciples. He could have let them in on the secret, but Jesus knows that the grief they're feeling isn't a problem to solve or an enemy to conquer. Their grief is an uninvited guest 
and you still have to provide hospitality to your guests. And so Jesus stays silent because he knows that what people in grief need isn't someone to cheer them up, but someone who won't run away from their pain, someone who will simply sit and listen. And that's exactly who Jesus becomes here, not a mighty savior bursting from the tomb and saving and fixing everything, but a traveling companion who asks to hear our complaints. The disciples resist this invitation at first. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place? They ask this question to keep from speaking their grief aloud. They either do not believe that saying anything will help, or they think their sufferings are not worth fussing about. After all, they aren't the ones who ended up crucified, and they don't want to burden this stranger with the troubles on their heart. But Jesus presses them on, and their lament comes tumbling out. They tell about Jesus and the grief and betrayal they feel at his death, saying, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped are there any sadder words? They acknowledge that some part of you won't be fed or healed. That you were not able to control how your life has turned out. That you are not where you wish to be. It is so difficult and vulnerable to name the ways that our hopes have been dashed. And yet hear this today. Speaking our grief is part of resurrection. When we lament, we lament to a God who is living, who is risen, and this God hears us. Lamenting is a form of communion. It removes any sense of pretense we bring to our relationship with God and cuts to the truth of where you actually are. And where you actually are is also the place where you will find God dwelling with you. And so lamenting reveals God, and it also changes things for you. Not only does speaking your grief to God mean that you no longer have to carry it alone, but God somehow uses our laments about where we are to take us to a new place. It does not happen right away, but naming our grief moves our grief along. Without actually reckoning with the toll that a loss has taken on us and how we are changed because of it, then we're going to end up stuck in our grief. No, the only way past grief is through it. So we are invited to lament today. We can save the rest of the story for later. One day, yes, we will find ourselves at that table with Jesus, hearts burning within us, laughing with delight, and filled to the brim with true life. But we're not there today. We're on the road. And our spiritual task 
the central thing that we are invited to is learning how to lament and staying on this road of grief. But that doesn't mean it's not Easter. Because Easter isn't a fashion show where we dress up hoping our strong exteriors fix our swirling insides. Easter is more than our feelings of triumph and victory and confidence. Easter isn't really about us and what we do at all. Easter is about how God is living with us through all things and how we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. And so there is no use in pretending to be somewhere we are not. So take heart. The risen Jesus is walking near you. Hidden, perhaps, but present and asking to hear about your grief and pain. And so today, let's take him up on his invitation. As the next song plays, let's lament together. I invite you to name your grief in the Facebook Live comments. Start off your sentence with, I had hoped, and then name your grief. Big or small, echo the disciples and tell us where your hopes have been dashed, starting off with those sad words, I had hoped. It's a hard practice, but we can do it together because Jesus has risen, Jesus draws near us, and Jesus will use the truth we name to draw us closer to the truth of his risen life. Amen.